Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We continue this week in our new series, Walk This Way, as we are joined by the Reverend Dr. Ed Glover. Pastor Ed will be preaching on trials and temptations as he teaches out of James chapter 1. If you missed the opening sermon in our series, which we did last week, you can find that at ccgf.org slash sermons or on the Christchurch app. Now, here is Pastor Ed with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, with that being said, we're going to continue in our series, Walk This Way. We're in the book of James. Our passage is found in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, and the title of our sermon is called Enduring Temptation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I would ask right now that you'd forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of this word. That you would speak through me to your people, and you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we need to be equipped to overcome temptation in our lives. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Last week, Jamie did a terrific job teaching about how how we need to grow through our trials. This morning we're talking about, again, enduring temptation. But what's the difference between a trial and a temptation? Well, first of all, a trial comes from the outside in. A temptation comes from the inside out. We learned last week that the purpose of a trial is to bring life to us. The whole purpose of a trial is to mature our faith so that we're complete, lacking nothing. So that we can all experience the abundant life that Jesus Christ talked about and promised. We're going to learn today that the promise or the purpose of a trial or a temptation, I should say, is to bring not life to us, but death. It's all about about destroying your faith and bringing death to you spiritually and in some cases, physically. It also, a trial can be from God. But a temptation can never be from God. So there are some differences between a trial and a temptation. But why does, why does James put the two of them along side by side in the same chapter? What's the, re, what's the relationship between the two? Simply this. If we're not careful, the trials on the outside may be become the temptation on the inside. Let me say that again. Simply this, if we're not careful, the trials on the outside may become temptations on the inside. When our circumstances are difficult, we are tempted to begin to, if you will, complain against God. We have a tendency to begin to question his love for us. And we have also the temptation just to resist his will. Complain against God, question his love for us, and then begin to resist his will. And who's tempting us to do this? Satan. And James is fully aware that Satan is going to do everything he can when you're going through a difficult time to put a wedge between you and God. He's going to do everything he can to discredit the character of God. When we're going through difficult times, we're we're facing disappointment, We're discouraged. We can be tempted. And the way that Satan tempts us is is this way. He begins to suggest to you that God doesn't really love you. That God really doesn't care about you. And that God does not have the power to change your circumstances. 
Let me stop right there. What we learned last week is that God seldom changes our circumstances. It's not about him changing our circumstances. It's all about changing us so that we can live above our circumstances. That's what we learned last week. We have these trials, we have these situations in our lives in order to mature our faith so that we are complete, lacking nothing, so that we can stand up against anything. But what Satan does when we're going through a difficult time is to get us to focus on our circumstances and say, God, why won't you change this? When really what he's promised is that he's going to so change you that you can live above your circumstances. So what do we need to do in those situations? Not look at our circumstances, but what? Look to God and look for him to change us. But Satan will tempt you to get to look. He twists the truth all the time. But you know, as he continues to hurl accusations about God, he'll continue to hurl them as long as you're willing to listen to him. He'll continue to bombard your mind to the point that you begin to doubt God so that what was meant for evil will be evil. It was meant to be good. And all of a sudden now, what was meant to help you to be better, now you become bitter. And if he can't discredit God, what he does is he turns to you. And he starts to try to discredit you. He'll start to say to you, the reason why you're in this circumstance and situation is because you don't love God enough. Because you don't believe in God enough. Because you're not good enough. You're not worthy. So James is putting these two together because he knows this is the battle. And he knows when you're going through difficult time, you need to understand that he's going to do everything he can to discredit God and discredit you. So when this happens, he goes on and he goes on and says in verses 13 through 18, he gives us four facts to help us overcome temptation in our lives. But before I go into those four facts, let me give, or if you will, define temptation for us. What is it? What are we dealing with? Well, in our passage in verse 13, it says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. The word tempted there literally means to seduce, to allure into evil. That's what it means there. Now, the Webster Dictionary defines it this way. The act of enticement to do wrong by the promise of pleasure or gain. Let me give you my my definition. Temptation motivates you to, to be bad by promising you something good. Let me say it, just clear it all up. Temptation is bad, okay? Not good. So as we understand that, how do we overcome it? How do we endure it? James gives us four ways. Four facts about temptation. In James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say. Notice it says when. Not if, but when. In other words, the first fact is, temptation is inevitable. James is saying it's inevitable. There's a few things you can be certain about. Taxes, death, and temptation. As long as you are in this world, you're going to be tempted. All of us. So we need to be equipped so that we can overcome it. That's the first fact. The second fact is this. In James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Second fact. God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. Temptation is never prompted by God. Why? Because he's holy. He's holy. He's never, ever, or never has been and never will be attracted to sin. 
Look what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says this. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. He's not attracted to sin at all. He's totally holy. And therefore, he cannot tempt anyone. He is not the source of temptation. Now, let me say this. He, he permits it, but he never directs it. He's not the source of temptation. So what is the source of temptation? You've heard the old saying, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Can you say that with me? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Without question in the scriptures, God tells us that there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God. When we just said the Lord's Prayer, we said what? Thy kingdom. There's the kingdom of God. Then there's the kingdom of this world. And this kingdom of this world is set up and organized to destroy the kingdom of God. It is totally opposing the kingdom of God. It has attitudes, it has behaviors, it has a lifestyle that it's trying to promote and influence you to, get, to be part of. And it's contrary to what God is telling us to do. That's why in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, Do not become a pattern of this world. Do not become the pattern of this world, but what? To but renew your mind. So that you can be transformed. So guess what? This world is pushing stuff to you all the time. In your minds, what you see, what you think, what you desire. all the, Everything you're looking at, things, not just everything, but most everything that you're looking at, everything you're reading, movies, whatever you're looking at. It has all, it's all about pushing their agenda, the world's agenda, rather than God's. So we need to be careful. Second... Is you not only have the world, but then you have the flesh. Every one of us was born in a sinful na- with a sinful nature. When you have a little child when it's born, you don't have to teach that little one to do wrong. It, it just knows how to do that. So we as parents, what do we got to do? We got to teach them to do what? Right. That's all of us in this room. We're all prone to sin. We just sang about it. Because we have a sinful nature. But thank God that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and walked out of that grave. And when he walked out of the grave, he destroyed. He took away the power of sin for anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. In that moment, you can now, because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, now you can say no to sin. Before you just couldn't. He broke the power of sin. So the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And the Bible teaches us we have two natures. We have the flesh and we have this new nature of the Holy Spirit. We are in Christ Jesus. And you have this war going on within you every day, good and evil, to do right, to do wrong. And guess what? We're living in a world that is influencing our flesh, not our spirit. So you have to be very, very intentional. I remember hearing a story about a chief of, of, of a tribe, an Indian tribe. He was out with his grandson. His grandson started talking to him about this battle within. And he described them as two wolves, a good wolf and a bad wolf, and they're fighting all the time. And he looked at his grandfather and he says, Grandpa, which one's going to win? And his grandpa looked at him and said, The one you feed. The one you feed. We're in in a world that's out to take you away from God. We have a flesh that Satan has a scouting report on you and he knows how to tempt you. And ultimately, he is the source of all that temptation. 
He's the enemy, folks, not God. He's the enemy of your soul. He is the lion roaring around, ready to destroy you. And what Satan loves to do is get you to blame God, get you to talk to God about why is this happening? He's not the source of it. We're talking about Memorial Day right now. We're talking about soldiers who fought and given their lives. I thought of Vietnam. I had a lot of friends fighting in Vietnam. And when they came home, they told me this. You said, they said to me, Ed, you know why we lost that war? We lost that war because we never knew who our enemy was. And we didn't go in to win. You need to know who your enemy is. So that you can fight him and you got to go in to win. All right, the second point. Or I should say, the third fact is this. To be tempted does not mean that you have sinned. Let me say that again. To be tempted does not mean that you've, been, that you've sinned. In chapter 4, Jesus is tempted three times. Does he sin? No. He doesn't sin. This is what the Bible says. He knew no sin and he was without sin. Without sin and knew no sin. Listen to this. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says this. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin was counted as sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus, even though he was tempted, knew no sin and was without sin. So when does temptation become sin? Hear me. When you yield to it. It's not wrong to be tempted. You're, you're living in a world that's going to tempt you all the time. It's only sin when you yield to it. Which takes us to fact four. Listen, temptation, fact four, is always a process. I want you to say that with me. Is always a process. This is where Satan plays with you and plays with me. He thinks it's just something that happens right then. It never just happens right then. It's always a process. And James gives it to us in verses 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Those, those words, dragged away and enticed, were words that everyone that was reading James would have understood in the first century. See, in those days, they didn't go to the grocery stores like you and I do and find their food. They had to go out and hunt. They had to go out and fish. So dragged away is a hunting term. What they did in those days is that they would find a, a bait, and they put it in a trap, and that bait was designed to attract a certain animal that they wanted to eat. And the animal would look at it, and he would smell it, and he would come over, and he would take the bait. And as soon as he took the bait, the trap would fall, and they had dinner for the night. Everybody would have understood about being dragged away by this bait. Then he goes on and he says, enticed. It literally means this. Enticed here in this passage means to lure by bait. It's a fishing term. term. In other words, when a fisherman goes out, he finds a certain bait, puts it on a hook, throws it in the water, looking for a certain group of fish. As soon as the fish sees it, it's enticed by it, it's attracted to it, goes over and bites it, and you have dinner for the night. In both situations, it was all about being attractive. What James was saying to his readers and to us this morning is this. Satan is always going out trying to put something in your path that's going to attract you. For what purpose? Debate you so that you will take it on. And then finally, being tempted is one thing. But finally, when you take the bait, 
He goes on and he says this in verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, you've decided I'm going to take it. It gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. So how's it start? It begins with an attraction. Then you look. And once you look, you begin to think. And once you think, you begin to act. And once you act, you birth sin. And sin births what? Death. I've heard it said this way. You sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. What James is talking about when he talks about death, he's not referring to physical death. He's not even referring to spiritual death. Remember, he's speaking to Christians, you and I. He's saying this can happen to you. What he's talking about is when you consistently sin, you consistently take the same bait day after day, month after month, week after month, you will live a death-like experience. In other words, you will grieve the Holy Spirit and you will no longer reap the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. There won't be any joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. No, you'll reap the flesh, what the flesh has. And the fruit of the flesh is hate, anger, bitterness, resentment, on and on and on. And you will live like those movies, The Living Dead. You will be in Christ, but you'll just be walking around as a dead man or a dead woman. He's saying, if you're consistently going to do this, this is what will happen. Then he goes on and he says this to us. He finally gives us some great hope. He says in verse 16, 17, and 18, he says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Verse 17, Every good, perfect gift is from above, and coming from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Verse 18, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That birth is talking about birth in Christ. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. In other words, he's saying, listen, don't give up. Remember, these people are being persecuted. These people are facing unbelievable oppositions. And he's saying to them, don't give up. Keep the faith. Keep your mind fixed on that which is eternal, not that which is temporary. He's saying, keep your eyes fixed on the prize. Don't give up. Continue to go to God because God will deliver you and you will eventually begin to experience the abundant life that Jesus called you to. To experience right here and now, not just when you get to heaven, but right here and now. Now, I want to stop and give us three very practical ways that we can overcome this temptation. You ready? We've looked at what James has to say. He says four facts. He tells us that we can't give up, we got to continue to endure, we got to continue to persevere. But here's some four, three practical ways that will help us overcome temptation. Number one, Avoid tempting situations. Say that with me. Avoid. Very good. When you get into those situations, you know what you need to do? Run. (laughs) Run. I love what Elliot says. Jim Elliot, he says, don't put yourself in a position to see how good your resistance is. When you feel temptation coming, get out of there. You know, when it comes... To temptation, I'm a coward. I do everything I can, most often, to run. I want to be like Joseph when he meets up with Potiphar's wife. I want to run. 
And when you run, where do you run? Well, first of all, you need to understand this. When you're fleeing from temptation, do not, be sure you do not leave your forwarding address behind. Okay? You run. You don't look back. You don't even glance back. You don't think about it. You run. And when you run, you run to who? Remember, when you're trying to get out of temptation, you don't get out of temptation through a program. You get out of temptation through a person. You run to the Lord Jesus Christ. For he's the only one that can be at the center of your life and won't destroy you. Anything and everything else will. So when you run, you'll run to him. You know what I've been learning in my life? When Satan comes knocking at the door, I send Jesus to the door. I I don't have it. He's the one that's got to do it. But I want to talk to those of you that keep falling over and over again. I want to say this to you. You You know what a successful Christian is? You know what it is? It is someone who gets up one more time than they fall. You got to get up when you fall. And what do you do? Remember the prodigal son when he came home? The only picture in the scriptures that you see God running is when the prodigal son comes home and God runs to him. You don't run away from God. You don't even stand there and think that he's not going to forgive. Don't let Satan tell you you're no good. You can't do it. Get up one more time than you fall and run to the Lord Jesus Christ. And begin to walk in the spirit, get back into the word and so on. I'm going to tell you some more about that. But let me stop about and say something to the young people in the room. Really, I'm talking to all of us. About avoiding tempting situations. Young folks, listen to me. Dating alone in secluded places is a disastrous practice. Say that with me. Dating alone in secluded places is a disastrous practice. I don't trust myself in those conditions and I don't trust anybody else. I've been in ministry for over 30 plus years and I've never had, listen, in the name of reason, how can you be alone consistently with someone that you say you love and come out of that situation pure? I've never seen it happen. Over and over again, I've had people come into my office and tell me that they're pregnant or they had sex and so on. And I'll say to them, well, how did it happen? It never happens. As Christians, it never happens in a group of people. It always happens when you're alone. Young people, listen to me. If you want to follow God and you want to be blessed by God, and let me say this. If you practice saying no to God outside of marriage, what guarantee you have that you're going to say yes to God when you are married? You've got to put it into practice right here and right now. You want to have a great marriage? You want to be faithful? You've got to be faithful now. And you've got to say to God, you know what? If you've fallen, again, what do you do? You get up one more time than you fall. You go back to God and you say, God, forgive me. And you run to him. But when you're in those situations, friend, you've got to run out of that situation. Last. I'm sorry. The second point. Be accountable. Be accountable. Listen to this. Satan's best weapon is to keep Christians away from one another. When we have no one to keep us accountable, when we become, we become vulnerable to temptation. It is so important to find somebody that you trust, that you can confide in. Listen to James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. 
You know what I do? I go to my wife, and I have a couple of other people. I know a lot of spouses can't do that. And if you can't do that with your wife or your husband, then you go, and you find, if you're a man, you find a man. If you're a woman, you find a woman. And you sit down with them, and I'm going to give you five questions to ask each other. If you want to write these down, you can. I got these from John Maxwell. They're really good. Number one, are you spending time alone with God? Is your thought life pure? Are you misusing your power or trust? Are you walking in total obedience to God? Have you lied about any of the previous questions? We got to be accountable. Third, we, we must guard our hearts and our minds. We must guard. Collapse in the Christian life is seldom a blowout. It's usually a slow leak. I've heard the illustration where you take a frog and you have boiling water on a stove. You throw the frog in it, it jumps right out. But if you put cool water on the stove, you put the frog in it, it'll sit there. You just turn up the, the fire and it, it just slowly boils and the frog will boil itself to death. Satan doesn't come right at you with it. If he does, you run. He comes at you slowly, gradually. It's a process to try to get you to compromise. Once you begin to compromise, he gets you. So you know what? We've got to guard our hearts. Howard Hendricks, a great theologian, went out and surveyed all the people who fell morally. And he asked them a number of questions, and he found three common characteristics in all of them. Number one, they were not spending time with God. They were not accountable to anyone, and they didn't believe it would ever happen to them. Folks, we're in a war. It's a spiritual one. The world, the flesh, and the devil coming after you. And I'm encouraging you this day to run. If you're tied up emotionally with somebody, run. You know you're not supposed to be in that relationship. You know you're not supposed to watch those things. You're not supposed to be doing these things. But if you've been doing them, what do you need to do? You need to confess and repent. Look what the, ver- what the word says here in verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. In other words, you can't do the blame game like, like Adam and Eve. It's God's fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. We must take responsibility of our actions. If we're falling into that sin, it's on us. We made our bed. We've got to take responsibility. And what you've got to do is you've got to admit it. Then you've got to name it. And then you've got to get honest with God and confess it. And then what do you do? You repent from it. And then what? Then what do you do? You get out of that situation. You stop going to those same places. You stop hanging around with those people. You stop going to that place that you know you're going to be tempted. And what do you do? You become accountable to somebody. You find somebody you can be honest with and you help them to help you to be who God intended you to be. And lastly, you what? You guard your heart and your mind because you know you're in a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. You stay in the word. You stay in fellowship. You begin to pray. You begin to walk with God. You choose every day to walk in the spirit rather than the flesh. And I'll guarantee you, guarantee you this, you'll have more victories than you'll have defeats. But I love what James says at the end. This is what he says. James chapter 1 verse 12 says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. He puts this right in the middle of the trial talk and the temptation talk. 
He says, listen, keep your mind on what is absolutely yours. You have eternal life. You are blessed. Why? Because Jesus Christ has done it. In 2009, I took my family to the Middle East. I had an adopted daughter. She was living out there, so I took the whole family out to see her because she was pretty discouraged. She felt much alone, very alone. So we went out, and I had no idea when I put the trip together that the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2009 would be in the Super Bowl. Well, my boys weren't happy. So what we did, literally, while we were flying in the plane, coming back home, landing in Chicago, the Steelers were playing. But we were smart enough to DVR the game. We were going to have a big Steeler party when we got home. And we said, don't talk to anybody, don't listen to anything, we don't want to know the score. We, made, we, made a, we did something, though, that was wrong. We put on our Steeler gear when we got on the plane. Soon as we landed in Chicago, the game was over. Everybody was talking about how the Pittsburgh Steelers won an unbelievable victory. Well, we knew the score, but we still went home. We still had the party. We put the game on. But I've been known during a game with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know why, but this is how I'm wired. I end up, when they get behind, they fall behind, they're losing. I'll literally begin to pace in the room. I've been known to walk out of the room and leave and then listen to my sons. When they start screaming, I know something good's happened, so I'll run back in. I've been known to literally turn off the television when they fall behind and they're not doing well. But in this game, I sat there. I was as cool as a cucumber. I never worried. I never was bothered. They'd get behind. They'd fall behind. They'd fumble. Didn't care. I wasn't losing any hope, any sleep over it. I never paced. I never shut the TV off. I watched. Why? Because I knew the final score. I knew who wins. James is saying this to us. He's saying this loud and clear to you and to me as believers. He's saying, listen, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. The crown of life is this, that you have eternal life. And that God has promised to those who love him. We as Christians, we might lose some battles, but we're going to win the war. We know the end, the last chapter in the book, and it says that you and I, who put our faith in Christ, we're going to go from the land of the living to the land of the, I mean, from the land of the dying to the land of the living. We win. You go out of here today. Know that you're fighting from victory, not defeat. Stay with him. Be accountable. Keep short accounts with him. Walk with him. And you'll win more than you'll lose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for who you are. That we're not alone in this. You are with us. And Lord, we pray today that you will destroy the weapons formed against us in Jesus' name. That we will put on the armor of God. That we will walk with you. We know that we're in a battle. And we're going to fight from the vantage point that we have won. We're asking for you, Holy Spirit, to fill us. We're asking you to help us to stay in the word of God. Help us to have fellowship. Help us to be accountable and guard our hearts. For Lord, we ask these things together in Jesus' name.